Welcome to the Jay Kim Show. This is your host, Jay Kim. I am an investor, author, and fitness entrepreneur. And for the first time in Asia, I sit down with the world's most brilliant minds in business, investing, and entrepreneurship. You'll learn all the secrets, strategies, and formulas to becoming a successful entrepreneur directly from the masters. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insight to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. We have a great episode for you today. Our guest is Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm. Jordan himself is a podcast host of one of the top podcasts in the world where he teaches advanced social skills for top performers. Jordan started off his career as a Wall Street lawyer and quickly realized that the people who were bringing in the biggest deals were not the smartest ones at the firm, everyone is pretty much smart on Wall Street, but the ones that had the best relationships. Jordan then spent the next several years researching and studying human psychology and persuasion, and he started testing his methods out at a local bar with his business partner. Due to his success at the bars, it wasn't long before Jordan attracted a following, many of whom offered to pay Jordan to teach them what he knew. With that, the Art of Charm was born, and now it's one of the leading schools out there that teaches social interaction. Jordan is also one of the very first podcasters on the scene, long before podcasting even was a thing. So I'm particularly excited about today's episode. Let's get on to the show. Jordan, welcome to the show. We're very happy to have you here on the J. Kim Show. First of all, uh, congratulations. I know you got married recently, so um, congrats on that. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm excited to speak to you today because actually you're, you're one of the inspirations. I mean, I, I've listened to your show for a while. You were one of the first podcasters on the scene before anyone even knew what podcasting was. And before there was a scene. Before there was even a scene. So um, very happy and excited to have you on the show. For our audience in Asia, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Jordan Harbinger? What do you do for a living? Sure. So my name is Jordan Harbinger, and I am a broadcaster. But I used to be a Wall Street attorney. And before that, I was just a regular guy. No, I, I I really wasn't cut out to be an attorney. And I knew it all along. And when I was there, I had, so in America, we do this sort of summer internship and I started with a law firm and what they do is they pay you ridiculous amounts of money, like 25 grand for the summer to go and watch plays and hang out and go to fancy restaurants so that you think this job is amazing. And then they put you to work in like a sweatshop slave labor style, only it's a Manhattan skyscraper. They do that to you slash with you when you join for real after law school. Well, there's supposed to be this summer mentorship program. And the mentor that I had was never in the office. And these mentors are assigned. They don't volunteer. It's not something they want to do, most of them. It's assigned. And a lot of them really enjoy it because you get to rock the company expense account over the summer going to see Blue Man Group and having $90 lunches or $190 lunches. And my mentor was never there. So one day, HR, who's basically human resources, the hiring department, who's kind of handling this summer associate class, as they call it, is like, how's everyone's mentorship program going? And I, of course, I'm like, I don't have one. I'm like, what? Who's your mentor? I'm like, uh, I think his name's Dave. And they're like, oh, Dave, right, right, right. And everybody thought like, oh man, you're so lucky. Dave's your mentor. This is amazing. All the partners were saying that. All of the senior associates were saying that, but none of the summer, the summer associates were laughing at me 
because I hadn't, basically my mentor had kind of ditched me. So HR made him take me out for coffee and he was like, ask me anything you want. And I said, how come you're never in the office, but you're a partner? It doesn't make any sense. You know, and, and he, he was really shocked by that because obviously you don't talk to partners that way, generally. But I was like, <laughs> look, let's be candid here. What the hell are you doing all day? Are you working from home? What's going on? And he told me that he brought in all the deals for the law firm, for our department, not for the whole firm, right. but for our department, which is real estate. And I, I just was like, wait a second, you bring in deals so you don't have to show up to work? And he's like, yeah, my time is more valuable outside the office than it is inside the office because I get million dollar deals every quarter. And if I, in order to make a million dollars by billing hours for the firm, even if I bill out at a thousand dollars per hour, that's a lot of hours. It's an inhumane amount of hours. Yeah. Can't, can't be done. So his, his time per hour, his value of time per hour, even though some of the other lawyers are billing out, you know, 500 to a thousand dollars an hour, his time was multiples of that because he was bringing in deals. And of course, the way that you do that is a lot of golf, a lot of racquetball, a lot of squash, a lot of dinners, a lot of Broadway shows, a lot of hanging out in boats and card, baby. <laughs> doing the right thing and bust. Yeah. And I'm sure that's in addition to his expense account. And he got bonuses for bringing in the deal. Uh, so he didn't have to worry about hitting a certain billable hour requirement every year. Right. Right. And I thought like, wait a minute, this is really good because when I was young, I was a smart kid and- so that's how I got through school, being a nerd and just being a, a smart kid. When I got to college, everybody was as smart as me, but they were all busy getting wasted. And I was like, I'm going to study. So I outworked everyone. And that worked in law school as well. But once you get to Wall Street, everyone's smart and everyone's willing to outwork everyone else. So my right. competitive advantage evaporated. And that's why when Dave told me, hey, man, I bring in the deals, I thought, holy cow, this is like a secret third elevator to the top that nobody even knows existed. And if I work on this skill set now, then in five years when they're like, oh, well, why am I not making partner? And then someone's like, you got to bring in deals. I'll already have spent five years trying to figure out how the hell to do that. So yeah. I'll, ha I'll get my competitive advantage back. That was my plan for the law game. That's why I started studying psychology, persuasion, influence, and sales, and all the other things, all the other components of the art of charm. So you were, so, okay. So it sounds like, so this guy was like a Harvey Specter, right? Like from Suits and like, he was just like the rainmaker of the firm. Like, was he like mid forties, something like that? And just like a, just killing it. I feel like he was in his early to mid forties and he was cool. I mean, I just, my first impression was that he was cool. And I know that sounds weird and juvenile, but let's be honest here. I get interviewed at this New York law firm. Everyone's kind of like, all right. What do you want to do here? And this this was a job seekers market. We were printing money. This is 2006, height of the yep. financial baloney. That's right. A and um, this is real estate and derivatives. So basically, they're looking for, do you have a pulse? Can you get to work more <laughs> or less on time? And can you read English? And I'm like, yes. And oh, and do you have a law degree from a top school? Yes. All right, fine. But Dave was kind of like, all right, um, you know, let's throw the football around inside my office. And he was throwing me this like football and playing with it, you know, we're playing with it back and forth and talking. And I remember being like, this guy's super cool and chill. Whereas I remember a lot of the other partners being like, uh, I know I have to ask you some questions or something right. um, and, and interview you, but I'm basically too busy and I just want to make sure you're not a psycho. But Dave was really putting me at ease. So yeah, I guess he was kind of like that, but he wasn't like this smooth bastard where you think like, oh, of course, this guy, everybody knows yeah, this guy. Yeah. 
he was really just a nice, cool guy. And he did jujitsu and he hung out with his wife and he hung out and golfed and stuff like that. And people were just like, oh, this guy's cool. And he grew up in Brooklyn. So he's very at home with all these New Yorkers. Right. And even the transplant New Yorkers, he just felt, you know, he was one of the guys. And that's right. kind of the boys club that was investment bank, that is investment banking real estate. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Jordan, just so, just so you know, I'm, I have a deep background in Wall Street as well. You know, oh, I, okay. I worked at Lehman. And so I, the whole drill, it's, it, it, it's actually pretty cool because it sounds very similar to a lot of the things I experienced, the summer internship, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the guys out there that were networking and, and, and pulling in the big deals. But you saw this third sort of uh, elevator, as you said, uh, to, to get you t yourself to the top. So a lot of people think they know how to network and, and make connections and build lasting relationships, but they're actually not good at it. So you said you started studying psychology and the art of persuasion and stuff. Did you just do that independently? Like you just dove into to reading books and, and researching on your own? Yeah, that was interesting because honestly, the... the the way I wanted to do this was very different than what actually happened. First, I was like, okay, I need to get books on getting deals or something like that. So I read dumb books, man. I, I don't even remember what they were, but there were books written by people who are writing about deals. I'll just leave that one there. Yeah. And there were other people who are writing books like persuade anyone to do anything. And I'd read those and it'd be some dumb, like oversimplified hypnosis handbook. And I thought, okay, this stuff doesn't work. And I decided that I wasn't going to discard anything because I thought it was stupid. I was going to try everything. Right. So I spent years going out every night with AJ, my business partner. He was really good with women. I was, I was not. <laughs> um, but he was terrible at networking. So we were working on the networking stuff. And we went out and tried everything. And some of it was just dumb. We embarrassed ourselves a lot. But it didn't really matter. It was just a trial and error thing. And we were in college. That's what college is for. And... I started to think like, okay, you know, we really do need to take some classes. So I thought, all right, well, what's the pinnacle of persuasion and being likable? Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I read the book, thought it was excellent, but pretty outdated. But, you know, st that stuff holds up. It's psychology and human behavior. So I took a Dale Carnegie class. And to say I was disappointed is kind of not really doing it justice. The teacher was, was good. Nice guy. But let's be honest, you're not learning advanced levels of charisma and personal magnetism from dudes who teach at the learning annex or the YMCA, you know, who go to work where in secretly really wish they weren't there, you know, retired substitute teachers and stuff like that. They can <laughs> teach really good basics. I'm not trying to make fun of the whole thing that they, they teach really good basics, look people in the eye and shake yeah. their hand. And that was good for the time. But I'm going to be blunt with you because that's how I roll and you're a Wall Street, former Wall Streeter, so you know what I'm saying when I say this. Yeah. If people aren't giving you business or doing work with you or collaborating with you on projects, it sure as hell is not because you don't have a firm handshake, dude. Right. It's not. Right. It's because yeah. they don't like you and yeah. or they like someone else more. That's you know, right. not they dislike you, but they like someone else more. They know, like, and trust someone else more. Trust is even more important. We can get to that in a minute, but... It's true, and the reason that you don't learn this stuff in Dale Carnegie classes or these big sort of charisma classes or these 10-person workshops or 20-person workshops is because 
In order to teach people real magnetism, it's not about adding things onto their personality. It doesn't matter if they remember, hey, Jay, how's how's your daughter's tennis lessons going? Well, Jordan remembers my daughter takes tennis lessons. What a charismatic guy. <laughs> not a real interaction, right? That's not right. a real thing. So they yeah. teach you that stuff and it's cool and it's kind of gimmicky and handy. And if you're a guy who works in Amazon and you're coding all day and you kind of are... are average level of social skills, that stuff could take you a certain distance. But if you're competing with people for multi-million dollar deals, whose job it is to essentially be great salesmen, except you're not a trained salesman, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a dentist, you're an entrepreneur, you own your own business, whatever the, the skill set is, you have to bring way better game than a firm handshake and good eye contact. You have to yeah. get people to know, like, and trust you more than they like someone else. And that's really hard. And in order to train people to do that, like I said, it's not about adding on those. It's not the additive process. Let me teach you a cool trick for remembering names. It's not the additive process. At Art of Charm, for example, it's the subtractive process. What's mm. all this weird stuff, this insecure stuff, this baggage that you've got from when you were a kid? And I'm not talking about metaphysical stuff at all, but stuff that's happened to you that you've, bad habits you've grown over the years and developed over the years. How do we get rid of that stuff? And I'm not talking about like, share with me why Fluffy died. Cry, it's okay. Like I know a lot of self-help <laughs> seminars do that stuff and I hate that stuff. I'm not sure what the value is. But for realistic folks who really want real results, I'm talking about, hey, Mike, um, you're leaning in really close when you talk to people and it's making people uncomfortable because you're breaking their psychological space. How often do you start interactions like that? Oh, every time? That's one reason why people... They don't want to be around that. They might not even consciously realize this, but you're doing this. Okay. Right. And we find that on videotape because we videotape people when they come through the program interacting with others. And it might be like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you've got a breath issue or you've got a clothing issue. That's easily solved. But hey, you're too close to me. You're breaking psychological space in an uncomfortable way. Good luck getting that advice from your business mentors. It's not going to happen. Most people even if they could teach you a skill set like that, they don't know how to articulate exactly what it is that's making them uncomfortable. And if they did, they wouldn't know necessarily how to point it out to you in a tactful way. And even if they could do those two things, there's no reason that somebody who's not trained as a coach, for example, can then get you to develop a new habit to replace that old one that's more effective. So there's a lot of different layers here. It's not just about being like, oh, I'd ask my friend Timmy if he thinks I lean in too close and he said sure so now I'm just not going to do that that's not how you change habits you break habits by replacing them with better ones and so that's what we're really seeking to do at AOC it's got to be it's got to have that trifecta of identifying them breaking them and replacing them in terms of habits and, and behaviors yeah I think that's pretty that your value prop there is really powerful because I was just thinking through it as you as you said that you know and like most people they, they have a distorted perception of themselves because they think that they're better looking than they are or they think they're more sociable than they actually are. And, and the one sort of, or the, the small circle of people that I'll actually call them out are maybe your wife or your family or your close friend. But then, like you said, they can call you out. They can do that part, but how are they going to fix you? They don't know. They're not trained to do that, right? How do you, how do you break that and, and, and replace it with a, with a, with a solid habit or, right. or behavior? So I think that's, that's very valuable. So that's pretty cool. So, so you said that you were, you were sort of beta testing your, your tactics and stuff like that and logging, uh, tracking uh, your, your tests and results. 
You, at one point, left the law firm and you traveled the world and you've been to a whole bunch of places. You have some crazy stories, which uh, we probably don't have time to get into, but I recently heard your episode on Man School, which was fascinating, where you talk about how you got kidnapped. <laughs> Jeez, that's um, a throwback. Man School? Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, that was, but it was, it was a great episode because I know, I heard it, you know, you referring to that those couple instances, but I never actually got all the details. So for anyone listening in, um, you could probably, we'll, we'll have it linked up in the notes. But so at what point were you like, okay, I, I have a business here. I want to pursue this full time. You know, I, I don't want to be a Wall Street uh, lawyer anymore. I think I can actually make a business out of teaching people social influence um, and, and, and behavior. Yeah. So the reason that I started the show was because we were going out, me and AJ, my business partner, we were going out every single night working on these techniques and we would talk about these things at tables, at bars or restaurants or whatever, and we'd be decompressing. And a lot of people started to notice things like, hey, you know every doorman, you know every bartender, you seem to know half the patrons here. And a lot of guys noticed that. And then another thing a lot of guys noticed was that when me and AJ were talking about, say, nonverbal communication and body language, that the women at the tables next to us would say, oh my gosh, are you? I can't help but overhear this and this and this. So we'd be sitting at this table with like nine women who were hanging out with us and there'd be 12 guys nursing beers in the corner of this of the bar or the restaurant or staring at the table. And so what, what happened, funnily enough, was guys would start to approach the table and they, the girls would be like, whatever, we're talking to these guys, go away. And if we knew the guys, they would be like, oh, uh, yeah, why don't I sit down and join you? And th we, they would get introduced to a bunch of women and things like that. And so we're 24 at the time, bear in mind, right? We're still in college right. or law school. And he's right. a, AJ was a cancer biologist in grad school. So guys started to say things like, look, you come in here, you never wait in line, you never pay cover, you never pay for drinks, you're always surrounded by different people, attractive women, everybody knows you guys. What are you guys doing? I've heard you talk about stuff, but I don't really get it. And they'd say things like, look, if I can hang out with you guys um, next weekend, both nights, I will pay for everything. I'll take you guys out to dinner before, I'll get us food after, I'll pay for all the drinks. Just, I just want to see what you guys are doing because I don't understand it and you guys are telling me that it's a teachable skill. So we started to bring these guys around and eventually that group of one or two guys that wanted to hang out on the weekend and learn from us turned into like 30 guys. And wow. so we started just talking with them before we would go into bars and we'd be like, good, don't step on each other's toes, be cool, do all the nonverbal body language stuff we taught you. And the rule is if me and AJ are at the bar, you guys have to buy us a drink, whoever's around there. And they're like, cool, <laughs> deal. So, so that was the fee. It was That was the fee. Okay. And it was cool because we basically turned a bunch of guys that would normally be competing with each other and being kind of douchey and like all competitive and weird. <laughs> and we turned them into this cool group of friends that we had every time we walked into any venue. There'd be guys that we had taught one weekend or another in there. And they'd be like, hey, what's up? I'm still following the rule. What are you guys drinking? And you know, it, it, would, it was great. That's so and cool. Then some guys were saying things like, look, okay. There's got to be more to this. I, it's fun when we go out, but there's more to this, and I want to be able to do it when you're not there. And we said, great, sure, fine. Uh, pay us 100 bucks, and we'll take you around all afternoon. And I remember taking this one business student out all afternoon and helping him do all kinds of stuff and running him through drills and exercises. And at the end of the afternoon, he gave us like $600, and we were like, uh, are, you, are we on for the next six weekends? He goes, no, yeah. this was just super valuable. 
And wow. I was like, oh, all right. And so we started to talk about the things we were teaching these guys on a podcast, The Art of Charm. And we started the show and we thought, look, this is a really easy way for us to, instead of having these guys follow us around and repeating ourselves, they can download this and they can listen to all the, all 20 episodes or whatever we had at the time, not even, and they can catch up on all the basics. And then when they come to meet us, they're kind of versed in all this. And what wow. we didn't realize was the podcast was going to get downloaded, not just in Ann Arbor, Michigan, it was going to get downloaded in freaking South Africa and Europe and, right. you know, Canada and all over the U.S., so we started getting people being like, hey, if you can teach me this stuff, I'll pay you. Well, I'm not going to fly out to Albuquerque. So yeah, let's do it on Skype for 50 bucks an hour. Well, right. as soon as we offered it for 50 bucks an hour, we booked out our next weeks and weeks and weeks. And we said, okay, we need to raise a price. So we raised it to a hundred. We booked out again. And I remember this investment banker, this mortgage banker actually in California goes, you guys need to be on retainer like real lawyers. And he gave us five grand. And I went, what? <laughs> and he's like, I just wow. want to be able to call you. And he goes, by the way, not for me, but for everyone else, raise your effing prices. Yeah. And I said, well, but we're not really coaches. He goes, no, no, no. I've hired all those coaches. You're much better than they are at this. The That's fact awesome. that you can do it, you can articulate it. He's like, a lot of these fake coaches are just, they're just people who say they're coaches. They don't actually know how to teach anything. They're right. people who created a website to sell a product. They don't know how to teach this stuff. So that sort of got around both online and offline. And I remember one guy just said, look, if I can come and stay with you for a week in New York, I'll give you seven <laughs> grand. And I thought, you got a deal, man. So yeah. I brought up uh, my other, we brought up our other friend, Johnny, who still works here at AOC. And he created a little curriculum and he took this guy out for seven or eight straight days, sent him off. And then we talked about that experience on the podcast. And once that happened, we were like, yeah, this crazy guy came and stayed with us for eight days, you know, and he paid us like this much money and we taught him all this stuff and he left and it was just so fun. As soon as that happened, we were getting inundated with emails that were like, hey, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. So, cool. so that's how boot camp was born. We basically said, okay, we need a real curriculum. We need to run it through educators who are professional. We need worksheets and we need a book and we need, you know, like a handbook and all this stuff, materials. We need drills and exercises and field coaches and we can have groups of people come in. And that's that's how the whole boot camp, the Art of Charm boot camp product that we now run is now in LA instead of New York, but that's how the whole thing began. It was demand driven. It wasn't something we made up. That's really cool. That that's a great story. So there, so essentially along the way, it's one of those multi thousand dollar offers or or deals that you did side deals that where you were basically like, okay, uh, this is better than being a lawyer. I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to go all in and and really make a business out of this. Um, and and it sounds like the podcasting was. It was like a it just a virtuous uh, circle, as in it it helped market yourself and it put the content out there, and it would just uh, it would just uh, grow itself. So you started that uh, back in the day before podcasting was a thing, and it it seems like podcasting. You know, I'm a newbie, and uh, I only started hearing about it after um, you know 2014 or so. Uh, serial and and those things came out and so I was like oh that's cool this podcast in the early days it it, it sounds like it was just you telling stories uh, and maybe not even having guests right was it just you pumping out episodes and trying to teach people yeah it was it was us me and AJ in the basement trying to teach people basic skills and then I remember once we were like oh we're releasing every week cool 
why don't we interview somebody and get their stuff for free, their program and their books and stuff? So they sent it to us and we we're like, whoa, we can get free books. This is amazing. So we kept doing that and interviewing. And then AJ was like, look, I don't want to turn this into an interview podcast because there's a lot of those, which is funny because there still are, because it really yeah. is an easy way to create content. Yeah. And I started interviewing people and trying to keep those at a minimum, but they just turned out to be good. And it was easier than trying to, once I moved to New York instead of Ann Arbor, it was much easier, easier than meshing schedules with AJ was to interview somebody. And then we also saw that if we interviewed somebody who was kind of popular, they would link to us on their blog. Right. And then a hundred new guys would start listening. And then we'd interview somebody else. And then a hundred new guys would start listening because of that. And then we're like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, that was sort of the original get a big name, they'll send you their audience. But back yep. then it actually worked, right? Yeah, because they had really personal blogs. No, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, if you, like, for example, you interview me here, you might tag me, I might retweet it, but like, I'm not mailing it out to my list. Exactly. You know, it doesn't make any sense. But back then it was like, I was on this thing called a podcast and you can download an MP3 to your computer and play it. And it's me talking with this guy. And people were like, what? Cool, man. So yeah. they would download it and play it in Winamp. I mean, that was how this stuff worked back then. Yeah, Winamp, that's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, because I listen to your podcast and it's like, I think one of your intros or outros or in segments is like, whether you're like, whether you're the, your first time listener or your 500th episode, and I'm like, damn, 500 episodes, that's insane. And you're up to to, to way more than that now. Which, yeah. which sort of episodes were, are your highest downloaded or, or most popular ones if there's like a handful of them and the I mean, highest subject matters yeah the highest rated or most downloaded are the toolbox episodes at the slash toolbox because though and those are years some of them are years old some of them are weeks old but those are things like resilience body language eye contact vocal tonality the way you sit stand and walk uh things like grit um Depression is one of the things that we're covering soon as well. Uh, a lot of things that are really concrete tools, and those are the ones that are taught by the faculty, and that's a loaded word, at Art of Charm. So it's me, AJ, Johnny, the other coaches. We talk about things that we teach at boot camp, and we really go deep dive versus some of the other shows, which are guests. The guests do get tons of downloads. I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Mike Rowe, the, yeah. those kind of folks, they get a ton of downloads, but the toolbox really is where people just start going crazy and downloading those things hundreds of thousands of times because that's where there's a lot of, every every hour long toolbox that you listen to, you're going to have like 20 things that you can change and right. use right out of the box on persuasion, negotiation techniques, influence, body language, all that stuff. So those are extremely popular. Are the are the sort of how do I talk to attractive women? Are those I imagine those are probably pretty popular as well. Those still are, which is funny because I just got married, um, as you <laughs> sort of mentioned. Yeah. But uh, yeah, th those things for us are naturally like those are quite popular. But it depends on the demographic. The divorced guys love that. Young guys love that. But I think a lot of people, men and women, they really are listening to those and thinking, how can I apply this in my life? So that's why we took a lot of the dating stuff that we used to focus on, and we really just up to kind of revamp it. So a new toolbox on body language or how to make friends in a new town, that's a good example. How to make friends in a new town. Mm. You listen to that and you're like, oh, great. This is about how to make friends in a new town. But if you're single, it's basically a crash course on how do I meet a ton of really cool women 
and men in my town so that I can have an active dating life. But if you're married and you move with your wife, now it's a, great, how can I create a really strong social circle in this new place where I moved? There's 98% overlap for, from the dating stuff to the lifestyle stuff. And frankly, to the sales stuff, most of the things apply as well. Persuasion and influence mm-hmm. is not just how do I you know, get this guy or this girl to do something uh, or, you know, come home with me or go on a date with me or whatever. It's like, all right, I sell a $200,000 software product. How do I generate enough trust with these people for them to even entertain the idea of purchasing that from me? And, you know, that that skill set is largely the same. I mean, I can point, the differences are trivial, really. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so much psychology behind, it's all, it kind of all breaks down to your understanding of human psychology and how people react to to what you put out there. I think it's fascinating uh, and I love your work. So I want to just quickly talk about podcasting because you're one of the seasoned podcasters. You've obviously been doing it for years now. What do you see as the future? Because so in Asia, there's not very many podcasts, which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Uh, but I see it as a positive trend, at least out here. Uh, and it's growing. Uh, I know there's a bit of fatigue in the States with the podcast circuit. But, you know, this is part of your core business. I mean, I guess it's, it's, uh, it's advertising, uh, marketing your, your products uh, there at Art, Art of Charm, uh, like your courses and, and that stuff. But um, what do you see as sort of the future of, of podcasting? Is it, are we still on the uptrend? Uh, yeah, that's a good question to, to sort of wrap us up here. It is definitely on the upswing. You can tell, and I'm not, this isn't just wishful thinking. I for sure thought, ah, oh, we're in a bubble and eventually people will go back to ignoring us like they did before. But no, they're much more popular than they all than they were. We've reached sixty five percent awareness of podcasting uh, inside America, anyway, which is a generally good barometer. I, and it might even be North America, not just the United States. Um, I'd have to relook, take another look at the study. But sixty five percent awareness, but only fifteen percent consumption. So that means that sixty five percent of people know what podcasts are, but only fifteen percent have listened to one. I think in the last month. So. That's definitely going to change when car when people who listen to the radio in the car have 4G in the car, which is yep. basically going to be every car over the next three to five years. Additionally, as awareness grows, it's going to be like Netflix, where it's like, oh, I could go get Netflix, but you know, I go to Blockbuster Video and I rent videos because I have right. a VCR. Well, right. that's all fine and good, but Apple TV, smart TVs. Everyone's got a smartphone now. Grandmas and grandpas have smartphones. Your car's going to have smart stuff. And then what happens over the next five to 10 when self-driving cars happen? What are you going to do in your car? Some people don't want to watch movies because they get a little dizzy. What are they going to do? Lay down and listen to a podcast or for the first few years, sit up, touch the steering wheel and let the car drive itself while you listen to something without mm-hmm. using a stinking aux cable, uh, you know, for your phone. And <laughs> yeah, so right. you're going to see a lot of consumption like that happen. And as other countries like Australia and the rest of Europe start to follow suit with podcasting because it's not as popular there, it's just going to come into play where radio, especially for music and talk, is such a weird secondary thing. It will go the way of analog TV in North America where you can't get analog TV anymore. You right. can't. You can't have TV in Michigan where I grew up. You can't have analog TV. You have to have (laughs) digital television. It's not, it doesn't mean you have to buy cable, but you can't get analog channels and everyone has cable because otherwise you'll get two channels and they'll be weird. So 
it's going to happen to that point where you're consuming things over the internet, whether it's YouTube, podcast, et cetera, all of that terrestrial stuff is going to get phased out. And pe- people aren't going to not want to listen to talk anymore. They thought that was going to happen when television came out. They thought, yeah. oh, radio's screwed. Yeah. Not at all. It's more yeah. popular than it was even back then because people still like to listen to things while they're doing other things. That's right. So you're going to see a lot of consumption go up. I'm not saying it's going to increase all the way to, you know, 100% of everybody's listening to podcasts, but it's going to be damn close. And it's going to most likely be the same number of people that listen to the radio now, which is basically everyone. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, Jordan, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Uh, Last question is really sort of what are you working on at AOC in 2017 for the rest of the year? And where can people find you, follow you and connect with you, learn, learn a little bit more about you? Sure. So you're already listening to a podcast. Definitely check out the Art of Charm podcast in iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts, or you can just check out theartofcharm.com. We have a lot of we have a lot of little drills and exercises that will help you with nonverbal communication and things like that, networking for business or your personal life. So hopefully some of your show listeners will start listening to AOC and the rest of them can hit the website and get some practical exercises and drills to get better at concrete skills. Absolutely. Great. Thanks so much for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, right, take take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.